Again, why, why Christian? That's the question I want to circle around to grapple with this morning. Perhaps some of you, as we read through some of the passages throughout the past month or so, uh, asked yourself a version, some variation of this question, right? If scripture includes violent, sexist, xenophobic texts as part of it, if it's not always consistent, if different voices in the Bible say sometimes conflicting things, why read the Bible at all? I mean, isn't it a bit antiquated? Or, or maybe some of you never even thought to ask questions of the Bible to challenge things that it says. And that, that itself feels a little bit heretical. But why, essentially, why take time out of our already busy lives to gather for worship, to participate in small group conversation series, to, to read scripture for ourselves? As I ask this question, why Christian, I, for the moment, am at least setting aside the answer that many Christians give. Why be a Christian? Well, to go to heaven, of course, or at least to avoid the bad place. Of all the things Jesus says, come to worship to collect your get-out-of-hell-free card is not one of them, actually. And I also want to set aside any notion that well, why Christian? Because it's the best. Hello. It's the greatest of all religions and spiritualities. Because if that's our concern, I think Jesus, who insisted that the last shall be first, that the greatest shall be the servant of all, would say, you've missed the point entirely. So this morning, I, I want to respond honestly and authentically to this question. And so I want to do something a, a bit different than usual. I want, to, I want to invite you into my own grappling with it and to do so by sharing a little bit more of my own story, my own faith journey. For me, this question is not an abstract philosophical one that's meant to be debated as if God needs our defending and that's the primary way that we are good, faithful Christians. Christianity is an incarnational faith, which, which centers on the word made flesh. It's meant to be lived. And its truths are only known in as much as they are lived. Christianity offers us a way of life. And that is actually what the earliest church, those earliest followers of Jesus after his death, what they called themselves, People of the way, they followed the way of Jesus, and the fruit that their lives produced was testament to how that was shaping them and changing them. And that was the question, when you traveled along the way of Jesus, what happened to you? What kind of human did you become? What kind of fruit did it produce? How, as the, the Apostle Paul puts it, how are we being transformed from one degree of glory to another? The goal was never escape into an eternal afterlife of bliss or avoiding the torment of the lake of fire, but rather the transformation of this earthly frame, this mortal life, this 
one world. Our tradition calls this transformation resurrection. The raising up of that which was dead toward true life. Now, personally, it took me a little time to learn this, as I think it does for most of us. When I was a sophomore in high school, I began attending an evangelical friends youth group where I regularly led music and worship and on retreats. I led Bible studies with my peers. In order to become what I thought was an even better Christian, I purchased a 600-page book from the Christian bookstore entitled Bible Answers for Almost All of Your Questions. Right? And so every day I would read this, different questions, and the, the paragraph or two that it provided as an answer. I'd try to memorize it, right? And before long, this teenager, my, my siblings were jo- teasingly referring to me as Pastor Eric, which was especially funny to them because our pastor's name was also Eric. But I had no intentions of actually becoming a pastor, But what had become clear to me at that point in my life, from my upbringing, from my burgeoning faith journey, was that there was right and there was wrong. The world is black and white, and we need to figure out what is which in order to be good, right? In order to belong, to be accepted, to be part of the group. And that's, thankfully, what the Bible was for, what Christianity was for, to show us which was good and which was bad. Who is good and who is bad? And once we're in, you know, we're more or less set. That's the goal. The main problem is the people out there who are not our brand of Christian. In college at UW-Madison, I continued deeper into this version of Christianity, away from my roots in the United Church of Christ, even spending an entire summer at an evangelical boot camp of sorts in New Jersey where in the evenings and on the weekends I would walk up and down the ocean boardwalk asking people if they would like to know Jesus. Now, as an introvert, I inherently hated doing this. But also, I just, it it always felt wrong, but I felt like this is what I had to do. This This is what following Jesus and caring about other people looks like. And I continued on this way until after my junior year when I traveled with a group to the Holy Land. There, atop the mountain of light, I met a man from Galilee, whom the people around him affectionately called simply Abuna, which is Arabic for our father. Not far from the shores of the Sea of Galilee, our group of college students listened with rapt attention to Abuna speak to the the struggles and travails of the Holy Land, the history and present realities of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the suffering, the injustice. His words that day shook me to my core. In speaking to the Israeli-Palestinian situation, he he named a much larger struggle that that our world is facing, that, that I had felt within my own body, my own life, as I grappled with what it meant to be a Christian. Why be a Christian? At least in the formal sense of participating in a community. If you are pro-Israel, he said to our group, on behalf of the Palestinian children, I call unto you, give 
further friendship to Israel. But stop interpreting that friendship as an automatic antipathy against me, the Palestinian, who is paying the bill for what others have done against my Jewish brothers and sisters in the Holocaust and elsewhere. And, he went on, if you have been enlightened enough to take the side of the Palestinians, oh, bless your heart. Take our side. But if taking our side means you become one-sided against my Jewish brothers and sisters, then no thank you. For God's sake, we do not need your friendship if it means having one more enemy. We need one more common friend. As you continue your journey, he went on, we were about to spend two weeks meeting with Israeli and Palestinian peacemakers and activists and leaders representing various perspectives on the conflict. As you continue your journey, he said, do not trust anyone who gives you simplistic black and white answers. Our history, our reality, our life, they're all far too complex for that. And there it was. Up to that point, I had been trying mightily to squeeze the undeniable multiplicity of our rainbow-colored world into a nice and neat binary of black and white. I had memorized scriptures and responses that taught me how to do exactly this. But that's just it. It was all built on this false assumption that it was necessary, that Christianity had to be this way. But amidst my growing questions of all kinds, this form of faith felt increasingly simplistic. I could no longer just accept these formulaic predetermined answers that were given to me. And yet while I knew I could no longer continue in this way of being Christian, I didn't know that there was actually an alternative. And so I returned home from the Holy Land, forever changed. But it cost me my entire college spiritual community. These folks that I had journeyed with for several years, which now rejected me and insisted that my questions, my concerns revealed that I was falling away from God. It was a deep wound for a long while, which I say to acknowledge that spiritual abuse, church abuse, is real. And for those of you who have experienced it, I see you. And in my anger and pain, I wanted to walk away from it all. I wanted to leave the church. But I couldn't shake my spiritual core. God has always been as real to me as my flesh and bones. I was still drawn to this radical peasant preacher from Nazareth. Christians, Christianity, the church, eh. But Jesus and God, I couldn't escape. And yet, in spite of my attempts not to get involved with Christians, in time, I did find my way to a community that did exactly the opposite of this other one, who affirmed my questioning, 
who encouraged my refusal to settle for simplistic answers, my need to keep searching. All of this as a sign that my faith was deepening, not failing. It was this community, a UCC and ecumenical campus ministry, that, that loved me back to life in that season. In that season, I became intimate with the Apostle Paul's words to the church in Galatia that we read this morning. That I have been crucified with Christ, he says, such that it is no longer I who live, but, but Christ who lives through me. This life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith, by trust in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. You see, what I learned in my journey out of one way of being Christian and into another, what I continue to have to learn and choose every day is that in order to be transformed, I have to be willing, I have to choose to put to death my ego, sometimes my desire for comfort, in order for a more expansive and transforming love to live in and through me. And this, this is the goal. Continual, utter transformation from one degree of glory to another. Not just being good, not just being in, but being continually changed and transformed. Not controlling who's in and out. Not merely obeying a predetermined set of answers. Not converting others to my way of thinking or doing. God wants to continually transform us and our world from one degree of glory to another. In our gospel reading this morning, Jesus offers a very similar response to an expert religious leader who, who wants to know, wants a definitive, clear-cut answer, what must I do to inherit eternal life, he says, teacher, Jesus takes this question about eternal life and flips it on its head, offering, again, not a set of rules to be followed or dogmas to be believed, <clears throat> but a parable about how to live in this life, the way to which God calls us here and now. He takes what we often separate, God and people, and puts them into a single, inseparable command. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. That is, you cannot love God apart from loving others or yourself. And to love others and to truly love yourself is an expression of what it means to love God. But this person presses Jesus further. Who is my neighbor? Who is that person that I have to love? In response, Jesus launches into that, that well-known parable of the Good Samaritan. That parable alone would require a full sermon to explore the ways that it should be explored. But the short version is this. Jesus goes from an abstract idea about love, love God, love others, to a concrete expression of it. And one that he knew would challenge his listener, his this expert in the law, this professional religious 
person. He knew that what he was calling him to do would be an affront to his, his religious sensibilities. Which is to say, once again, that Jesus isn't really interested in abstract philosophical ideas about love or being good or right or wrong. Or to memorizing answers out of a book. No. Jesus invites us into a way of transforming love. A love that must be lived where we must risk living it in order to know it. Not hypothetically, but in real life, a love that calls us to cross cultural boundaries and railroad tracks and taboos in order to be in relationship with those whom we've, from whom we've been estranged, with our enemies, with the people we despise and dislike, those whose choices or genders or sexualities or race or ethnicity or language or religion or anything else provokes suspicion or judgment from us. Being Christian is an invitation to participate in a rich and dynamic conversation with those who have asked life's biggest questions in different ages, in, from different cultures and nations, in different languages, with people who challenge my limited perspective and who challenged me to think in ways that, that I couldn't or wouldn't on my own. And it gives us a living, dynamic community in which to grapple with them, to consider what it means to actually live out God's transforming love here and now in our own complex realities. See, I chose, in spite of the rejection and pain of my own journey, to remain Christian, to remain committed to a local church, because in spite of the many flaws of Christians and churches throughout history, in spite of my own flaws, the way of Jesus continually calls me to be reoriented around that which matters most. Which somehow we're all pretty good at forgetting, it seems. And as we do that, to build together in our small corner some uh, our small corner, the kind of world that God dreams of. A community in which I can be okay with being a work in progress. Where I'm welcome to not have all the answers. And welcome even when I don't know exactly what I believe or who God is. Where being an unfinished product is not met with judgment, but with grace and companionship where we can love each other back to life, can name and call forth the gifts of others, and have others who are committed to doing the same for us. A community where we each will inevitably fail and stumble and fall. We'll choose greed, we'll choose to be led by ego, we'll chase power, we will all inevitably wound others despite our best attempts. Knowing this, we can therefore create a community where we practice compassion and grace, accountability and forgiveness, 
reconciliation and justice. That is where we can be transformed from the inside out, from one degree of glory to another, which simultaneously leads us to participate in that transformation, that resurrection with and alongside the whole world around us. That is the question that is ever before us. Why Christian? What fruit is this tree bearing? Who are we becoming? How are we being transformed from the inside out by God's love? Will we continue to welcome and choose this? May it be so for our healing and flourishing, for the healing and flourishing of all the world.